Good evening. You are listening to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst. Welcome to Undercurrents. My name is Jenny. I'll be with you for the next half hour, along with my guest who's um, in our virtual studio. Um, we have joining us today, Dr. Jerry Friedman, who's a professor of economics at UMass. And the topic of our discussion, or the general, general direction is going to be um, to talk about the recent election results and where US politics is going. So Jerry, thank you for joining us. Or well, thank you so much for having me. I guess that us was like the kind of um, presidential us, meaning the community of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So election results. I mean, one of the astounding things that we kept on hearing about was just the, the number of people who came out to vote. Do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to start because um, I think many people listening to this and certainly you and me, were a little bit or more than a little bit disappointed at the results. Um, the Trump ran a few percentage points above what was expected. And also, um, while we were expecting a big turnout, people thought, and I think a lot of the pollsters were expecting, that this was going to be a big turnout among Democrats, among Biden voters, among people angry about Donald Trump. Instead, I mean, there was that, but there also was a very strong turnout among people who came out to vote for Donald Trump. And Trump ended up with 46, 47% of the vote, which is actually, a, you could say, okay, that's a poor performance for an incumbent president. But it's several percentage points above his poll numbers. That is the proportion of the country who feels that he's doing a good job as president. And it's in the middle of a pandemic, an economic collapse. I mean, all these things where, you know, um, even 40% supporting him is for some people incredible. Uh, but then 46, 47% voting for him against a perfectly respectable, middle, unobjectionable Democrat, um, and people turning out to vote who hadn't voted before. Um, you know, the Trump people, I understand, were, you know, going around kind of saying, oh, well, we're going to get a big turnout. We're going to get a big turnout. And uh, people were not paying that much attention to it, um, to them. But this was a little bit like 2016, and a lot of people on the left and a lot of Democrats kind of have this post-traumatic um, stress reaction to, oh my God, November 2016 was such a shock. It's so horrible. It's such a nightmare. Um, and then you get something that's a little bit like that all over again, where clearly there are a great many Americans who are so angry about um, the, you know, the Democrats or something, so angry that they will support a corrupt, misogynist, racist, neo-Nazi um, against, you know, kind of slightly bland, but kind of sweet, middle of the road um, 
competent Democrat. Um, so that raises, first of all, where are these people coming from? What's going on? Um, and what does this say about the possibilities for effective governance in the United States? Because we haven't had effective governance uh, since 2010 or maybe earlier. Um, we've had the, we had divided party governance for six years of, of Obama. Uh, we had the first two years where the Republicans controlled Trump's White House and both houses of Congress, as well as the Supreme, the Supreme Court. Um, but they were so incompetent that they couldn't do anything except cut taxes for the rich. And then the last two years, we've had the Democrats in control of the House. So you could think about it as, when did we last actually pass a budget? <laughs> and you're really going back to uh, 2000, early 2010. Um, oh. Yeah, that we act, you know, other than that, we've been governed with continuing resolutions and interim appropriations and things. And before that, uh, you know, uh, Congress in the mid 1970s passed a visionary budget act um, that, uh, you know, providing mechanisms for planning national budgets, et cetera, federal government budgets. And that's almost been ignored in practice ever since. But it's a measure in recent decades of how difficult it's been to construct a, a, a governing majority in this country. Um, so first of all, you know, who are the people who voted for Trump? Um, Good question. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, they're the super rich. Um, most, you know, and people point to, oh, well, there's George Soros um, and a few other, uh, Tom Stryer, um, Mike Bloomberg. Uh, but the great bulk of the super rich um, supported Trump and support the Republicans. Um, yeah, they they benefit from, you know, tax cuts and, um, uh, you know, it, that's their guy. The Republicans in practice behave like the party of the plutocrats, anti-labor, anti-working people, um, for cutting taxes for the rich, privatizing public services, et cetera. So that, that's, that's fine. Um, uh, but that doesn't get you to 46, 47% of the electorate. <laughs> I mean, the support of 2000 super rich people. Um, uh, and it wasn't that they just bought the election. I mean, Biden's had plenty of money and the Democrats spent more money than the Republicans. So it's not that it's just buying. There really is genuine support um, among working Americans. Um, people will point, well, Biden got a majority of poor people, people under uh, 30, under $55,000 in income in the exit surveys. Um, Biden got 51% of those under 30, 55% of those 30 to 50,000. Um, okay, but take out non-white voters. And if you're talking about the white poor and the white working class, um, male and female, they voted for Trump. Among whites without a college degree, they voted two to one for Trump. Um, and then if you go to if you leave cities um, and the inner suburbs 
and you go to the farther out suburbs and you go to rural areas, you know, Trump was carrying white working class voters by margins of three to one. Um, I'll give you some details that kind of shock me as, a, as okay. somebody who's been following American politics and, you know, um, you know and studied it, so the history of American political development. Um, Trump carried Youngstown, Ohio. Republicans, this is old steel town. Republicans have absolutely no business carrying Youngstown. I mean, these, these, these were CIO members, steel workers, working class Americans, people who voted three to one for Mike Dukakis and Bill Clinton. Um, Trump got 70% of the vote in West Virginia. West Virginia was so democratic that it voted for Carter in 1980 against Reagan, one of a handful of states. It's one of eight states that voted for Mike Dukakis in 1988. Um, it hasn't voted democratic in the presidential level since 1996. And it's been getting more and more Republican. Youngstown narrowly voted for Hillary. It voted solidly for Obama. And as I said, it voted overwhelmingly for Bill Clinton. Um, so there's been a sea change. Um, and Trump more than, I mean, it's been going on for Republicans before Trump. Um, w. Bush, Romney, it, you know, they carried West Virginia already. But what we're seeing is people who work with stuff. Uh, people whose jobs involve handling materials um, have been trending Republican for decades now. Um, while where have the Democrats been winning? Well, my precinct, <laughs> precinct eight in Amherst, voted, I think it was 94% for uh, Biden. Um, uh, Amherst voted overwhelmingly for Biden. Um, Palmer down the road. Oh, you know Palmer because you drive through Palmer to get to the turnpike. <laughs> you know, Palmer voted for Trump. Uh, you know, there's um, walking around a little bit at the past the edge of my neighborhood. We walk into Belchertown and there's um, a welding place. Um, operating, I guess, in the back of somebody's house. They have a gigantic Trump sign there. Um, you know, works with materials and is not an immigrant and not Latino and not black. You know, white working class people who work with materials have been trending Republican. These are sort of the core of the old Democratic, the New Deal coalition. I mean, these are the people who formed unions and turned out and turned out everybody they knew to vote for Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, John Kennedy, um, et cetera. Um, they've abandoned the, the Democratic Party, while the Democrats, Amherst hasn't always been a Democratic stronghold. Um, Democrats carried Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, one of the richest suburbs in the United States, outside Philadelphia. Montgomery County is well, as historically as Republican 
as West Virginia's supposed to be democratic. Um, class doesn't cut it, um, or it doesn't cut in the same way. Take out blacks, take out Latinos, um, yeah, take out people who immigrants, you know, Indian Americans vote heavily Democratic now. Um, but, you know, and Cubans are Latinos who vote Republican because they hate Castro. Um, but, you know, you take out people who have a social issue or civil rights concerns, whatever, um, you know, take out Jews. And what you have is the new politics of class in America. People who um, work, people who sell intellectual products are making money in the new global economy. Um, they're selling export products, people who work for um, Netflix, people who make, you know, who write commercial jingles like that guy in that com comedy show, Two and a Half Men. You know, he, he'd be a Democrat because he's writing commercial jingles that he sells all over the world and makes money doing it. And he buys stuff made by Chinese workers and employs Mexican gardeners. Yeah, I don't know whether Charlie Sheen actually employed it. You know, I, I never actually watched the show, but I've seen some YouTube snippets. You know, he can be pretty funny. But, um, you know, but people on the coast generally, but also, you know, Chicago, Ann Arbor, Amherst was sort of coastal. But, you know, where do we get our money from in Amherst? Oh, yeah, of course, we get it from... Americans who pay tuition, but we also get it from foreigners who buy tuition here, who send their kids to UMass. Um, and why do Americans want to pay high tuition to send their kids to college? You know, high tuition even at a public university. Uh, because they know that the good jobs will be those that use your brains. And good jobs will be those that use your ability to articulate and to write words on paper and do, you know, all the thinking stuff. Um, working with your hands, getting dirty, picking stuff up, shaping materials, all that, you know, we hire people in Cuba, in, in China to do that. Soon enough, we'll be hiring people in Cuba to do it too. Whatever, I slip of my tongue there, but it's it works. Or if we can't get them to sell us the stuff and bring it into the country, we'll bring them into the country. And those are the people who are losing in the global con economy and voting Republican. So, Jerry, one of the things that I found very confusing is in terms of um, the effects of the pandemic not being obvious in the voting. So you talk about the you know, distinction from education and um, that, that's one distinction. Yeah. But long be well before the election day, if you looked at the map where COVID cases per capita were high, that was everywhere in the, in the Midwest and all these rural areas. And oh, you oh, would I, think 
people would understand if they're being sick. Yes, you would think so. But I think that's another one where the pre-November 2nd conventional wisdom was wrong. Um, I think COVID did cut in the election, but I think it cut for Trump um, because people who lost that. I didn't lose my job. You didn't lose your job because we could just go on Zoom. We teach on Zoom. And uh, if we're concerned about safety, we hire people to deliver stuff for us. And actually, I'm never going back as long as I can get my stuff delivered. You know, my food delivered. I don't I don't want to, I never like shopping, <laughs> you know, but um, we're fine. But people who um, have to be in physical contact with other people um, started losing their jobs. Now, for many young people in urban areas, they lost their jobs and wait staff, whatever, and they suffered for it. Um, and maybe they're mad about it. But to the extent that they're educated, um, whatever they understand and they appreciate and they they're used to respecting their professors, you know, or their former professors. They're, they're used to respecting intellectual authority. Um, but, you know, if you, you know, um, are working at some job where uh, suddenly you can't go to the bar afterwards or you can't, or you lost your job because of shutdowns um, or you, your life is disrupted in some way because some intellectual who probably was, you know, brought in all those immigrants who've taken jobs from your friends and did nothing to help you when your union was being destroyed and um, did nothing to help you when your <coughs> pay was cut because of imports, you know, and now they're telling you, you can't get a beer or you can't go to your restaurant with your friends on Friday night. You know, um, <clears throat> those people, those are the people who were carrying guns outside um, the state house and inside the state house in um, Michigan. And they voted for Trump. They turned out for Trump because Trump was saying the hell with the pointy headed intellectuals who are telling you that COVID is, you know, you have to wear a mask and things like that. Um, no, no, just just ignore it. It will be okay. And after all, most people who get COVID don't die, especially if you're under 70. Um, you know, and, you know, so uh, Trump himself seems to be okay. Damn it. But, yeah. So are you saying that as bad as, as enormous and horrifying as the numbers are of cases and, and hospitalizations and deaths, it's still a small enough fraction of the U.S. population that for most people, it's like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it? Oh, God. Do we have 13 million cases? I don't remember. I could look it up, but. but it's okay. Yeah. Most, most Americans aren't infected. Um, we've had 270,000 deaths. I mean, that's a hor horrific number. But most people are dead, you know. Um, and you know, a hundred thousand of those are in assisted living facilities. Um, and yeah. you know, uh, but while we've had you know over ten million people infected, and 
100,000 hospitalized and 200 hospital in hospitals now and 270,000 dead, um, virtually everybody's life has been disrupted. And people who've maybe never trusted authorities and are particularly distrustful of the, you know, look at what the Democrats have given us over the last 30 years. And I say this as a, I vote, I vote Democratic. I've, I voted Republican once in my life. So I'm talking about my own party. Um, the Democrats gave us NAFTA under Bill Clinton, which opened up, which led to the loss of a million textile jobs. Um, and you can see it. People, people say that the Democrats, Democrats lost the South because of civil rights. That's not true. I mean, what, you know, um, Carter in 76 carried every Southern state except Virginia. Ironically, the one state that votes Democratic now. Um, uh, the Democrats lost the South in 1994 after NAFTA because NAFTA destroyed the economy of the white South um, uh, in textile mills um, and in weaker steel mill towns in Alabama and Tennessee. Um, those places voted for, for Clinton and they still, many of them, not Georgia, but many of, many of those places voted for Clinton in 96, but they never voted Democratic again. You know, that was the last um, because, the, and I think it was NAFTA. So the Democrats gave us NAFTA. The Democrats under Bill Clinton repealed many of the New Deal bank regulations, um, you know, the Glass-Steagall repeal, which was kind of the end of a long line of repeals that have been coming in. Um, and then under Obama, I love Obama, but Obama's administration made a conscious decision to bail out the banks and not throw the corrupt bankers in jail where they deserve to go, well, didn't hang them from the lampposts, didn't nationalize the banks, didn't even bring in significant bank regulations. I mean, there are good things in Dodd-Frank, but it's pretty limited given the magnitude of the financial disaster. And the Democrats did all this. I mean, they had, Obama had reasons to do it. He just wanted to get the economy going again. But the result is Normal Americans said the Democrats are the party of corporations. Uh, what did Obama do about antitrust? Nothing, really. You know, Clinton made some noises about antitrust. That actually, if you may remember, he sued the, Democrat, uh, the uh, Justice Department sued Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft gave a ton of money to the uh, George W. Bush's campaign, and they dropped the suit after <laughs> the election. But these guys, I mean, normal, you know, working people could say, hey, I haven't had a raise for 40 years. I used to have a union and I don't anymore. And it was the Democrats who presided over this. And I would say to them, well, you, so you got to vote for the Republicans? And they said, well, what the hell? On economics, the Republic, you know, Trump promised tariffs. He promised protection for American workers. He promised to bring manufacturing back. That's more than the Democrats even promise these days. So 
we have about um, six minutes left. <laughs> and I wanted to see if, so to my mind, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans have given much or have advocated much or implemented much for um, most of the people in the United States. But under Trump, it does seem, not seem, it's true that the erosion of the democratic system such as it is in the United States has really um, been dissolving remarkably fast. So do you wanna close with um, some comments on what you see as the erosion of democracy and you know, what, what are the things we should be watching for? Oh, absolutely. And the, the Republicans and the Trump administration are moving as fast as they can to nail down some of the changes that they're implementing, um, including cutting back on civil service protection um, for, uh, you know, um, well, for, for public servants. Um, the, uh, the attack that Trump, the attacks that Trump has launched against people who spoke up and told the truth about what he was doing, the administration's refusal to allow a test, uh, you know, administration personnel to testify in Congress about what they're doing, all this, you know, uh, has seriously reduced the ability of elected representatives to supervise the actions of our imperial presidency. Um, and the Senate has gone along, a narrow majority in the Senate elected by a minority of the population because the way our Senate is set up, you know, uh, you know Wyoming with 500,000 people has the same number representation in the Senate as California with 30 million. Um, you know, uh, the Republicans split the Dakota Territory in the 1880s to get an extra two senators. Um, and we're stuck with that. So the Dakotas, with six people living in them, have four senators <laughs> and six electoral votes. So uh, at the Supreme Court, given the inability of Congress to do things, the Supreme Court has been more and more active in interfering um, and setting policy. Um, and these are very dangerous um, precedents that have been established. So that's on the negative side. Yeah. Um, in the, the last two and a half minutes on the positive side, where do you, where do you see the energy going of the popular movement? To well, that's that's the part. You, you're absolutely right. The positive side is there. Uh, we had a little bit of that leading up to Obama's election coming out of the anti-Iraq war movement. Um, and it surged a bit with um, Occupy and the and the um, Bernie campaign, the Bernie movement. Uh, but it really exploded, especially among educated women. Um, under uh, Trump and the resistance that built up and continued. And it's that that, you know, including in not just white women, black women. Um, and to some degree, that's what we owe the election of Biden to. And I think um, Biden 
appreciates that. Um, you look at all the women that he's been appointing um, to important offices. Um, two of the three members of the Council of Economic Advisors that he's appointed are women, a woman treasury secretary, um, uh, you know, his whole communication staff. He, he knows that he owes his election to women. Um, and it's those activist women who've organized and uh, what we need is for them to keep at it. You know, under Obama, people stopped, but the problems have not gone away. The easiest part was electing Biden. The real work, fighting, you know, acting on climate change, fighting racism, fighting misogyny, restoring democratic norms, um, that's still ahead of us. And that's the real work. Well, that's a great place to um, wrap up, especially since this is the end of our time for today. <laughs> our guest today was Jerry Friedman, who's a professor of economics at UMass Amherst. Um, thank you very much for joining us on Undercurrents. You're tuned to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst. <laughs>